0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. In the book of Judges, I want to look at the life of Gideon, how God called him, how God encouraged him, and how God used him by unconventional means. And God always reminds us that what we do is by His strength. Can you say his strength? His strength. Come on, his strength. When you're tempted to feel weak, guess what? Just admit you that you are and just say it's all right. When I'm weak, I'm strong, and God loves to use weak people. Matter of fact, he's looking for someone weak enough to use because if we're full of ourselves, there's not a whole lot of room for God. But when we admit that we're deficient and that we have a need, and we're not the all-in-all of the universe, then there's room for him to pour himself into our life. I mean, even Jesus is an amazing thing to me. According to Philippians, it says, He emptied himself and became a servant. Who in their right mind would willingly empty themselves? And so we're looking for everything we can to accumulate, to puff ourselves up, to stroke ourselves, to embellish ourselves, to exaggerate about who we are. And sometimes the reason there's a lack of hunger for spiritual things is merely because we're just so full of so many other things. So if your hunger is not where it used to be, it could be we're just so full of other things, you see. But as we maybe unpack some of that, there'd be some room for God to to come and move in us uh, in a greater way. And so God always reminds us as by his help. He'll take circumstances that are seemingly pretty much impossible to double down and reaffirm it's not by might nor by power but it's by his spirit. It's by his grace, it's by his calling, it's by his gifting. The gifting is always from the Lord. And so such was the case With Gideon, there's a lot of encouragement we can take as we look at this man and how God raised him up. He was an amazing leader, and sometimes the question is posed historically, are leaders born or are leaders made? The answer is yes. Uh, They are born with calling, but they are very much under construction, and they're very much in process, and they're made. You can have a call on your life, but by grace, we have to respond and rise up into that calling. And there's some things we go through to, to rise into the call and the mandate of the Lord. And only those who love God will stay in the yoke. Are we here? I mean, if we didn't really love God, we say, to heck with that. I got other stuff to do. But just raw love keeps us keeping on, does it not? And there are times God will begin to move in our lives. He'll shave things off. He'll deal in our lives. It can hurt so good. But He's, he's forming and committed to get that image of His Son uh, in our lives. And so... He's just reminding us, though, that it's all by his grace. And again, this is the story of Gideon. So he found a man weak enough, weak enough, weak enough, weak enough so there would be no confusion as to where the glory goes. Weak enough. We find um, at the outset that Joshua, of course, who is the attendant to Moses. Now, you're talking about some serious dudes, some real amazing leaders. I mean, how would you like to come on the hills? you know, of Charlton Heston, you know, parting the Red Sea. I mean, that's that's quite a feat here, Moses, if you've seen the Ten Commandments. But this was right when Joshua, servant to Moses, had died. And there's this huge vacuum in Israel. These two amazing leaders were dead. And so, as was the cycle in Israel, and as was the continual pattern you know, God's blessing would be on the people of God. Then they'd get puffed up. They'd forget God. They'd serve other idols. They would run after other gods. And then God would have to raise up and allow neighboring nations and enemies to do a little booty kicking and, and, and discipline them and give them a spanking to where they would humble themselves. Then they would cry out to God. He would forgive them. And then he would bless them again. And you'd think that'd be the end of maybe just one cycle. But oh, no. They'd go around that mountain time and time again. He'd bless them. They'd get puffed up. They'd leave God. He'd discipline them. They'd repent. He'd bless them. They'd get puffed up. They'd forget God. He'd discipline. I mean, just on. And so we we don't want to go around the mountain round and round and round, okay? People ask, why did Moses have to stay in the wilderness 40 years? Well, because God couldn't do in his life what he needed to do in 39 so anyway sometimes it's merely it's merely up to us and so we we want to cooperate with the Lord but God was amazingly long-suffering with Israel and so this was a continual pattern that was repeated over and over again and so we find that uh, in this book there's a total of 15 judges listed for their leadership you've heard of of, of several of them such as Deborah um, of course Gideon uh, Samson. And uh, not all of them really walked with God, but God raised them up based on his love for Israel and trying to deliver them. So again, this is the period right after Joshua and before the ministry of the prophet Samuel and then the kings, not James and Sheila, but it was, you know, started with, with Saul and then David, you know, so there was a, a progression there. So you had Moses, you had Joshua, this vacuum, and then God was having to judge Israel and spank Israel, but yet he had compassion. So then he would raise up judges to deal with those enemies. They'd repent. And then again, interstage right, the prophet Samuel, and then the era of the, of the kings. But the judges were heroes for Israel. They were heroes. Have you ever thought of yourself? In that way or in those terms. Heroes basically are those who make a difference in our lives. Just to demystify it, those who make a difference in others' lives. And I go around in our church all the time and say, how you doing, hero? I'm not patronizing them. I'm speaking it because I honor them. I see people, and they're hauling chairs, and people are doing equipment. People are faithfully greeting and ushering. And after the worship team has just come off the stage, and they're sweating, you know, just you know, like they just gone 15 rounds. I'm like, man, it was great today, hero. You're my hero. Why? You're in the yoke. Just those who make a difference, the little things, the big things, who cares? Just making a difference in people's lives. So what's the story behind our man Gideon? Go to Judges 6, and here the cycle begins. It says in verse 1, again, the Israelites, what, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. You talk about a damp, dark, lonely place. I mean, the enemy is driving them out of the land, and there they are finding, you know, a cavern, a cistern, you know, finding some little cleft in the rock to call home. Pretty sad. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So again, Israel did evil. Their enemies oppress them. Israel then cries out to the Lord. The crying out part was smart. Ever been there? Ever been there? Lord, you see, you know, your all-seeing eye sees my predicament. I'm asking you for help. All throughout the Scriptures, it talks about those who cry out. He longs to be gracious to the one who cries out to him. Now, I can hold on to my false dignity and my pride, and then be none the bettered. Or I could say, dear God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around you is, shh, that's so undignified. No, I'm afflicted. Hush with yourself. Jesus, son of David, help a man. Help a man and to be in that habit. God, I'm I'm, I'm needing your wisdom and your direction. I'm needing your insight. And I'm asking for your strong leadership here. I'm limited. I know I'm limited. I'm not deceived. There's self-awareness here. Therefore, I look to your counsel. And I want to stand in your wisdom. And I'm looking for your aid. All my days. Smart. So they cried out to God. What was the answer from the Lord? Gideon. There are people on this island that are oppressed. Some of them don't know how to pray. Some of them God sees their heart. And what many times any culture needs is just a deliverer. And those that have been delivered have the capacity actually to deliver. What we first receive, then therefore we're able to give and dispense. He was the least candidate. God didn't care. The predicament of Israel was more important to him than someone's pedigree, than someone's resume, than someone in their own eyes, their qualification or lack thereof. So God responds to this cry by the call of Gideon, people oppressed everywhere. And we jump down into verse 11. And so here comes the call of God. The angel of the Lord came, verse 11, and sat down, under the oak in Oprah, it wasn't Oprah Winfrey. It's just anyway, they belonged to belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So you see, even Gideon was oppressed. He was also hiding provision. Here, God is raising up a man to help Israel's oppression, and he too is oppressed, oppressed. Many times you think you know. Pastor Mark says, "Hey, I need you to do this. You need. You want me to help." them, I'm broken. I'm hurting. How many of you know most of us in life are wounded healers? But somehow through taking our eyes off our predicament, helping someone else, we, we get a little freer, don't, do we not? So we don't wait until this false mirage of perfection. Steve Merle is brilliant about not waiting until you're mature to minister. As you minister, you become mature. So we can start today. If someone's drowning, they don't care what side of your head you part your hair, you know, comb your hair, what colored shirt. They're just like, throw me the rope, you know. And it's just like, yeah, but I'm just not sure I can do it with the top spin like everyone does. And, you know, this rope isn't as attractive as someone. They're like, I don't give a rip. I'm dying. Help a man, you see. And so here he goes after a man who himself is oppressed. Because then it wouldn't be mere theory you've been through some stuff, great, God will use it. He's a great economist. When Nehemiah wanted to rebuild Jerusalem, what did he use as building blocks? Burnt stones. Burnt in the fire. You ever felt like you've been burnt? Great, you're a building block in God's eyes. There's a seasoning to you. The wine is fermented. You're not ministering theory. You've been there. You felt the pain. Jesus is a faithful high priest who's been touched with everything we've ever gone through. He bears the wounds. Even Paul said at the end of Galatians, Do me no harm, for I bear in my body the brand marks of a disciple. This is not theory. I know in whom I believed. Therefore, the suffering, even though I have, it can't compare to the glory to be revealed. But I've been there. I've been to hell and back. I know the color of the flame. So don't waste your pain. Allow God to use that as a springboard to deliver someone else out of their stuff. And so here the angel of the Lord comes. We find Gideon here. He's hiding. He's hiding wheat from the Midianites. Then verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I can imagine. He's like, you ever had a word like that? Someone prophesied over you? You're like, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. I mean, I, I, my my wife and Deborah Merle, Steve Merle, our president of Every Nation. His wife and my wife were best friends in college at the University of Virginia. and They were sorority sisters and got saved at the same time. And they they some ministers were prophesying and they were prophesying all these folks that had just gotten saved. And over Deborah, they said, "You're going to be going overseas and you're going to be doing you know doing this." And and they said Deborah was the most pris pot person would never even want to have go out of the backyard, as it were. But the point is, people would not have looked at her in the natural and said, you're going to go all over the world and God's going to use you and no, 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 no. You know, it would have been like, no, I'm not leaving Georgia. So when the word of the Lord comes to you, you could feel like Gideon, huh? You got the wrong guy. No, if you're the one that says I'm not qualified, he's got the right guy. To the one who says, I'm qualified, wrong guy to the one who's empty and they know they're empty don't knows they don't have much to offer there's a little self-awareness there right guy are we here and so he begins to tell him you know the lord is with you i mean it's just so typical i mean here gideon he's basically hiding surviving because of oppression and god addresses him as mighty warrior the lord is with you he's probably thinking with me i don't have goosebump number 1 what do you mean with me I don't feel like you're with me. I don't, I'm not feeling it. How many of y'all know most of the time we don't feel it? I didn't feel like getting up this morning, but it was a smart thing to do. You just, you just do it. You know, there, there, are, there are occasions you don't quite feel it. You just do what you need to do. And God says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. We either take it by faith or we don't. It's like I, I don't feel it, but I don't give a rip what I feel. I stand on what I know, what I believe. The feelings will catch up. Feelings are a bonus. They come and go. You see, God said, I'm with you. Here he is trying to keep his head above water. He said, I'm with you. It's the same for us. It's true for us whether we feel like it or not. He is with us. Giddy is looking over his shoulder thinking, mighty water warrior, got to be kidding. Hiding. What's he doing? Hiding. That's what men do. We hide. Men hide. Hiding. Not coming into the light. Someone from the pastoral team. Hey, can we meet? Why does he want to meet? Just want to do coffee. Why? I'm busy. I feel like we're being called into the principal's office. Men hide. You see, we just got this sense of this. See, Jesus takes the criminality out of Christianity. There ain't nothing but love. It's a revolution of love. Takes the sting of intimidation away. We don't need to live under the yoke of intimidation. You see, Men hide. Men, but God seeks. Men hide, but God seeks them out. Men hide, but God seeks them out. Praise God. That's the story of the gospel. I mean, it's been that way from the beginning. Adam, where are you? As if God didn't know. We're funny people. You know that. You know we're funny. I mean, a fig leaf. Yeah, I can't, oh, I can't find you. Fig leaf. Oh, you're covered. What's your fig leaf? What's my fig leaf? We hide, I mean, I, we deal with that when we minister. And you know, you have someone who, who, in their intellectual pride, they they think they're they think they're an atheist, and they try to set you up. Well, can God do anything? You know, as if you know, as if they've got you. And of course, you got to say, well, yes. Well, then can huh, can then he make a huh, rock so big he can't lift it? And you know, they just think you know, they got a zinger. You know, and well, first of all. Maybe I won't answer the question, but you don't hide behind that. If you hide behind it, it makes it bigger than you. People say, I'd come into the church if it wasn't for the hypocrites. I'd be, I'd be a Christian except all those hypocrites. You're hiding behind the hypocrite. So using that logic then, you're going to reject Jesus, bust hell wide open and spend an eternity with all those hypocrites you, te- you declare that you hate. <laughs> the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Can you make a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, a rock is an immovable object. So big he can't lift it, you know, an irresistible force. They don't coexist on the same plane, so your question's illogical. <clears throat> you know, so it's just like don't hide behind that, but men hide. But thank God, God seeks us out. And so here uh, he's going after Gideon. Gideon answers with cynicism. Have you ever done that? But, you know, it's an honest cynicism. In verse 13, he says, But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Ever tried to use logic with God before? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Of course, the real question is, Who abandoned who? Remember? Remember? They'd go after other idols, go after other gods. I love how in Joan it says, those who cling to worthless idol forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's in the NIV eighty four, not two thousand eleven. I love the rendering of that. Those who cling to worthless idol forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So who abandoned whom here? You see. Many times we shake our fist at God. Why'd you let this happen? <laughs> we gotta just move forward and lay hold of him by faith. Calvin said, it's not wise to ask why. We go forward, you see. But God is merciful and he's amazingly, he comes around time and time again. He comes around time and time again. He comes around time and time again. Uh, He's just amazing. I would have said enough already. It's kind of like on the Truman Show. Remember, he was looking in the rearview mirror, and that car was circling. He goes, there it goes, round and round, round and round and round. I mean, God, he just, I mean, it's like Garmin. Garmin never gets mad, you know. Turn right, you know, turn left. Go two streets, turn right, you know. And like, you're all, it just, it never gets mad. I told you, turn left. It just will always just get you where you need to go. If I were God, I'd say enough already with upraised hand, you see. But God is striving with him, and he's striving with us. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. So God answers his cynicism with a mandate, as he does for us. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? It's funny. We're praying for something, and God tells us we're the answer. Lord, this island. Oh dear me, what's going on in our nation? Oh gosh, this election cycle. You know, and God goes, well, uh, I, well have, have you been in the gap praying? No, but dear me, it's just a mess. I mean, it's just yeah. But what about if my people? Yeah, that's, that's sweet. But anyway, it is just a mess. This fix we're in. I mean, dear me, what about Second Chronicles four, four, you know, uh, seven fourteen? Well. Yeah, that's great. It's poetic and all that. You see, many times we pray, and there are those moments like with Gideon. He said, you know, you're right. Therefore, I'm sending you. I'm sending you, Jethro. And he was oppressed. What makes you mad today? What makes you mad? What frustrates you? Do you realize that could be a clue to your mission? That could be a clue to your vision. Because could it be that God wants you to help that, fix that? Serve that. Get a breakthrough in that area. Are we here? And on top of that, again, he uses weakness, our weakness. He said, go in the strength you have. You could say here this morning, I don't have any strength. God says, fine, go in the strength you have. God, you didn't hear me. I don't have any strength. Great, go in the lack of strength you don't have. You know, we're always trying to figure out a way to be smarter than God. God, you didn't hear me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fried. Now, you got a little more toothpaste in that tube there. I, I, there's a little bit more. There, there's, look, just go in what you have. He never asks us to go in what we don't have. He asks us to use what we do have. Moses, what's in your hand? Staff. All right, throw that down. Also, he said, am I not sending you? That should have clued Gideon in. Next Gideon responds with a sense of inferiority. Verse 15, but Lord, ever gone there? But but Lord. You feel the call of God? But but God. But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. There's weakness again. That's a good thing. Somehow God likes it. And I'm the least in my family. Well, says who? People I say, yeah, you know, we, we just kind of check off this litany of what we're not. And it's like, well says who? God defines you, not what you did five years ago. I blew it five years ago. Well, did you kill Christians? Paul did. But he said, this one thing I do for getting at which is behind, I press on. I'm going to go forward, you see. So there was a sense of inferiority. It was a perception of getting the short end of the stick. But that's usually where God breaks in. You ever feel like kind of like Charlie Brown at Halloween? I got a rock. You know, I got the short end of the stick. Man, I look around, these other people, man, they were really measured out. You know, a lot of talents and this and that. You know, I feel like I got the short end of the stick. Great. Let God breathe on that and raise you up in power, and you'll be quick to give him all the glory. Thank God for it. Let that be the launching point to creating a story of what God can do. You see, seems like also another mighty warrior king named David was also perceived to be the least in his family. I mean, he was almost disowned. So here you have Gideon, weakest clan, least in his family. Let me go, no, that's a bad day. <clears throat> to us it may be. In God's economy, it's the making of a great story and testimony to his power. This is the stuff and the building blocks God uses. Weakness turned to strength. Weakness turned to strength. He's looking for someone weak enough, church. He's looking for someone who's just fed up with doing stuff in their own power. He's looking for someone who says, "I've tried, and I'm just—I hit a wall every time." Great. Great. I'll never forget this lady who came into my mother's living room. And she was not—you know—she had not been a believer up until now. She said, "I am miserable." My mother said, "Wonderful." She said, "Are you crazy?" She goes, "Now a guy can break in, but he has to get us to that point." where we shift out our confidence, shift out our focus. I can't, you can. I can't, you can. We quote, without Christ, I can do nothing. And then we go on to do nothing. But that's not the end of the equation. (laughs) But in Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, so when we say I can do nothing, we're not telling God or anyone else anything they don't know. I mean, outside of Christ, I'm a mouse. But in God, you better watch yourself. I bust your head. Hello? Spirit of God, come on a man. He'll morph into a whole other entity. So we admit we're weak. We admit we're deficient. We admit we're empty. And then we say, now, Lord, feel, feel. Come on me. Visit me. Encounter me. Raise me up and create a story. I know that when those planes flew into the two towers in Manhattan, a group of our leaders got into Winnebago two days after and felt like they should go up there to minister. And as they were crossing the bridge into New York, into Manhattan, and as the smoke was still coming up from ground zero, God told one of our leaders that out of these ashes, I will build a mighty church. You say, I've got ashes. Great, give them to God. Beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. Gideon's not too unlike us, is he? God's economy. These are the building blocks of God. So Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? God has an answer. Verse 16, the Lord answers, I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites together. This almost parallels Moses to me. I am ascending you. God takes weakness, makes us willing somehow because it's his call although through some wrestling and allows His power to flow through us to help others. Listen to me. God doesn't call the qualified. Listen to me. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. It's all about His choice, His choosing. I mean, when I read about Jacob, that crafty surplanter, how in the world could the blessing of God come on him? That old trickster lied. How His character, dear. God called him. The blessing of Abraham trickled down. It isn't fair. God says, when I bless something, it's going to be blessed. And, of course, he touched his hip. He became a, changed his name to Israel, a prince who strives with me. But the point is, when God wants to bless, when God wants to call, That's our confidence. I didn't come up with this. This wasn't just a good idea. It's a God idea. I know that I know this is the Lord. He does this for the sake of the people that need us because they can see God, not a mere man or woman, delivering them. It's all about the power of God flowing through weak people. It's not ability. It's availability. So the nickel drops, and Gideon finally gets it. Of course, after fleecing God twice which God isn't obligated to comply, but did. And Gideon begins amassing an army. I mean, an army. I mean, God, he's given his word, to Gideon. He's extended his call to Gideon. He's answered Gideon's objections, and he even responded to his fleeces. How many of you know we don't fleece God? Well, God, if that's you, then just may the sun not come up today, and may every car, you know, and Tumon Bay just float 20 feet up. You don't tempt the Lord, all right? He's not obligated to our test, okay? But God was so working with him and was so long-suffering, he just accommodated him in his weakness. And so Gideon, he amasses a massive army. Massive, 32,000 men. I mean, that was the size of my hometown when I left to go to college. My town of Wilson, North Carolina was 32,000 people. That's an army. You can get something done with an army that size. So he has this amazing army. Therefore, really, who needs God, you would think? Who needs God? I mean, maybe in Gideon thought with 32,000 men, I just got to make sure I got a little something on the side in case this God thing doesn't work. I just got to make sure. You know, maybe it is horses and chariots after all. I don't know. So Judges 7, we go there. We're doing okay today. We're going to get you out here by uh, 2.45. We're good. All right, Judges 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, drew Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Interesting here. Sometimes God will initiate a ministry of subtraction before he begins to jumpstart a ministry of multiplication. He wanted to do more with less to show that the power was from God through weak people. So sometimes there's a weaning. Sometimes there's a ministry of subtraction. I mean, when God was getting ready to pour out His Spirit, how many were invited to tarry, to gather, to go into that upper room? 500, remember? How many showed up? 120. So it went from 500 to 120. Then on the day of Pentecost, pow. 3,000. God was looking for critical unity. He wanted to make sure this is, I'm going to do this my way. And so the honor goes to the right, goes to the right place. God knows what he's doing. Say God knows what he's doing. You feel like, dear Lord, I've been downsized. Dear Lord, I've had this taken away. Dear Lord, my income's been cut. Dear Lord, my relationships are, are more brittle than they've ever been. Look, it it, it, it isn't over till it's over sometimes there's a reduction before there's a multiplication are we here so out of 32,000 men 22,000 left and 10,000 remain and then we pick up here in verse 4 of chapter 7 and it reads but the Lord said to Gideon there are still what too many men take them down to the water and I will sift them for you and I will uh and if And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lapped the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go each to his own place. So now we're down to 300. Can you say 300? Because remember verse 2b earlier, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. So here is Gideon with only 300 and God. Can you say and God? 300 and God. You and God are a majority. 300 and God. There could be one you know, and he could barely get up in the morning and God, and he'd still win. It could be Gomer Powell and God, and the people of God would still win. It could be Forrest Gump and God, and the people of God would still win. Or it could have been Barney Fife and God. But the but, so 300, it doesn't really matter. People debate, I don't believe God made, you know, the created in, in, in six days. I mean, dear, how, I mean... If he did it in 6,000, I mean, we know it was sick, but the point is, is like, I mean, even if he did it in 6,000, the point is that's still amazing to me. The point is God can do anything he wants. He just wants not our ability but our availability and say yes to that call. And Gideon wasn't there originally, initially, but God worked with him. God worked with him. God worked with him. God worked with him. And he's working with you and he's working with me. He's working with you and he's working with me. He's a lot more patient than we would actually think. So here he is with only 300 and Gideon's probably thinking how in the world is this going to work? Probably his knees are knocking. But here comes God again, stepping in to help. Verse 9. Well, actually let's back up here to uh the latter part of verse chapter 7 verse 8. It says now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley during that night. The Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be what? You will be what? And can you say encouraged? You see how God's working with this man? You're going to be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the camp to the outpost of the camp, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Oh, I love this. You see how all of a sudden it's changed now. I mean, here, God again is helping him. And now this Gideon that was hiding, now he himself is saying, get up. Get up. The Lord is giving those rascals into our hands. So instead of going, I'm from the weakest clan, and you know, and I'm a worm, and I'm a this, he say, get up. All of a sudden, there's been, there, there's been a mutation here. I mean, here, God is helping him over and over again. This is amazing to me. Encouraging him through a dream. He finally gets it. And out of his mouth, he's telling them to get up. There's a shift. There's a change. He sounds like a leader now, does he not? But he did not start out that way. But God saw what he would become and that's why he called him, you mighty warrior. God saw him through the eyes of what he could do through grace, you see. And God held his hand every step of the way, and he'll do the same for us. Listen at the confidence now. Verse 17, Gideon says, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Now, that's a change from a guy who's cowering in the corner to go out among the ranks of Israel and says, watch me. Hey, 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 everybody, right here, watch me. What I do... You do. But it was all God. And if he forgot it, God would give him a spanking and remind him, that's right, that's right, I'm a nerd, it's all you. What happened? What happened to my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. God turned weakness to strength. does it all the time. What happened if the Lord is forced, and why all this has happened to us? Here's another declaration of courage. In verse 18, if you would go there. let we pull this thing in here a bit. Verse 18, it says, When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. How presumptuous. Watch me. Follow me. And at my signal, blow the trumpet and say, for the Lord. I mean, that would be like Mark saying, for the Lord and for Mark. Now, we were thinking, could there be a little pride? It wasn't pride, though. God was building a leader here. You see, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp and at the beginning of the middle, watch, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets, broke the jars, 300 companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, I mean, dear me, I mean, just God flat broke in and they began to shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon while each man held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. Verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord calls the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their sword. So I love that. For the Lord and for Gideon, what confidence. Now we see why the angel of the Lord, again, originally addressed him, you mighty warrior. God saw what he could and would be with his help. And as we read more of the story, you can see what God did through him as a leader. God gave him total victory. Total victory. Speaking of leadership, one phrase here as we close. I love in how chapter 8, it says in verse 4, Gideon and his 300 men exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit. You ever feel tired? Someone one time said the world is run by tired men, men and women, genderless. But, you know, sometimes we're tired, but we stay in the yoke, you see. And there's reprieve, there's ebb and flow. We understand that. Exhausted yet keeping up. Verse 5, worn out but still pursuing. The new Gideon continued to make bold declarations he even went so far as like dear me calm down now i mean he was a mouse now he's this lion i mean he went amongst these troops and they wouldn't give him any bread and he said i'll tear your flesh like desert thorns and briars just because they wouldn't give him some bread that's like going up to mcdonald's drive through and saying yeah i'd like a uh, you know a quarter pounder oh we're we're at, we've, we've run out today i'll rip your flesh with thorns He said, just for this on another occasion with others who wouldn't share their bread, he goes, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower, which he did. And after the amazing victory God gave Gideon, he had learned a lot about God and the ways of God. A leader was born. Last verse here in uh, chapter 8, verse 22. Love this as we close. The Israelites said to Gideon, after this amazing victory, God did deliver Israel. He did through a weak man, a hiding man a fleeing man, an insecure man, an intimidated man. But God raised him up powerfully over time. Can you say time? Thank God for time. The Israelites, verse 22, said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you people want a king no he's your king we'll be a steward we'll serve we'll be in the yoke we'll rise above our injury we'll rise above our insecurity and we'll just not obsessed with our deficiencies and we'll lock into that call and put our confidence that it wasn't man but God who called me this wasn't my doing I didn't make it up the making of a leader can we stand on our feet in the same way God raised him up, God's raising you up. I mean, here we are on this Palm Sunday. We're in Resurrection season. God loves to take the impossible. I mean, some of you here, you may think there's a situation in your life. You think, you know, this is this is dead. Well, God majors in resurrection. You may have a marriage. You say it's not only struggling; it's dead. Well, God is great. And raising the dead you know, it's, it's, it's not like Prince's bride, you know, partially dead or halfway dead. De- God says, I'm not intimidated. Where old death is thy sting. It's been swallowed up in victory. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen to use weakness. Therefore, we're encouraged. We can have a role in the game. We don't have to be the man of God of power for the hour. Lord, I thank you that you can breathe on the willing and the obedient. So, Lord, we just pray that even as you worked with Gideon and you took time and patience to strive with him, oh Lord, would you strive with me? Would you strive with us? Lord, we just pray you would be long suffering. Lord, there are many that are oppressed in these islands and they need a deliverer. And Lord, even though we may feel, well, we too feel that oppression, it's okay. We can identify. So, Lord, I just pray, Father, for that sense of confidence. That what you did for this man, you could do for me. Let's Just raise our hands in the air right now. Just say, Lord, what you did for this man, pray this. Lord, what you did for this man, do for me. Be patient with me. And help me to become what you want me to become. For the sake of all those that are oppressed around me. You're not looking for perfection or ability but availability. Now, some of you, right where you are, I want you to answer the call that you hear just in your heart. It doesn't have to be something grandiose. It could be the call to serve. It could be the call to be a blessing. It could be a call to hospitality. It could be a call to any number of things. And if you feel like that's God by His help, I'm going to step in that. We have just a few years on the earth. I'm going to step into that and see what God might do with weakness, with weakness, with weakness.